Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, we're warm here. That's what's up. Oh, are we? Watching Alexi Lalas look like the Revenant. <laughs> oh, my God. How... We will. We're here on on what is now, thankfully, a a happy uh, Wednesday evening following the U.S.'s three nil win over Honduras. Qualifying is suddenly back on track. We're going to talk all about the weather. That, of course, was one of the big storylines to come out of this game tonight. Um, feeling good, right? I mean, there's really no reason not to be after a game like that. No, I I checked in on Twitter just quickly before. I we we recorded and I saw our dear old friend Tommy Smith, who was in more kind of circumspect mode. Would you say introspective? Said, "Yeah, okay, we won, but this is this is the worst team in the group. Yeah, winless team needed to happen. It did happen. The nerves were because of well, we we are conditioned to be nervous uh, after what happened the last time and also what happened on Sunday um, in in Hamilton. So." Look, a, a a good night's work, uh, a win, but I'm I I don't think I'm quite as as happy and as overjoyed as you are. Well, I mean, I think job done, and and yeah, look, <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm running up and down the halls high fiving everyone here in the building. Like they took care of business tonight. I think it, that's the the mo- the most you sh- you can and should say about it. Yes. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna find a way to say a lot more about it over I, the course of the next forty five minutes or so. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was what it was supposed to be. I I think the reason that I find myself feeling good about it, that I think a lot of American fans are are going to go to bed tonight feeling good about it, is because this was just like the ultimate sigh of relief game. Yeah, you know, as you could in the days since the Canadian match, you're kind of looking at the table. And, you know, the points haven't changed in the course of the past couple of days, but it just felt like that table was squeezing tighter and tighter in the days leading up to this. Like, it yeah. was just, you just had that feeling. I said to you before the game, we were watching in here in studio as they're kind of scrolling through during the national anthems and you're looking at players' faces. And based on nothing other than me projecting my own nerves, I said to you, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't have a good feeling about this. And it's just something about, I don't know, the the weather and you can just like all the excuse making that you can already hear and you know the the, the beating that US the US Soccer Federation was going to take in the wake of this and you're looking at, you know, US players with their hoods on tight during the national anthem and like the it, the weather's a thing and you know confidence is low. It's like and- have we have we not only after losing to Canada and putting ourselves in in relative peril, are we now going to trip ourselves up right. further by having this venue? And we'll we'll do much more weather talk later. But yeah, all those things were coursing through your veins, and and there was just a lot of there was a lot of anger over the last few days yeah. um, in the in the US MNT sphere. You know, anger towards Bear Halter, um, rightly so. Sunday wasn't good. And as we read through on Sunday's podcast, the, the comments afterwards enraged people. They were, but they did. But it was also entirely predictable. Like that was the exact reaction that I would have fully expected from this fan base. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I don't, I really don't blame them for it. 
And so all this tension is building ahead of a game. And I think we maybe lo- lost sight of who we were playing. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, they gave us, you know, a rough rough 45 minutes in San Pedro Sula. But generally speaking, the second half was a romp. And the second half was a romp uh, this time round too. As was the first half. Yeah. This, so, was, this was dominance from beginning to end. Yeah, it was... I I'll pick I'll pick through the bones of it in 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 a little bit, but I will go as far as to say it was comprehensive. Yeah, certainly. Well, let's kind of go in reverse order of what we normally do because I'm 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 curious to get your thoughts on this question that I always ask. I've rephrased it a little bit here, but this U.S. team exiting the group stage or not the group stage, <laughs> exiting this set of qualifiers, these three qualifiers, this round, with, yeah. with three more to go. Um, so where are you at compared to a week ago? You feel better about them? Worse about them, the same as you did before we entered these three. I think I I feel, I feel more or less the same. I don't I don't think, actually, do I? I probably feel a tiny little bit worse mm-hmm. in that on Sunday, you know, there I was very optimistic about the most comprehensive performance we've seen from this team under under Triple G was home to Mexico. That was, I thought, the the only real time, forget the summer and the two finals, where I could say that's a performance that this coach has promised and we executed in a fashion and played played the game in a fashion that I thought this is development. This is, you know, this is very good. And Sunday just threw me completely because it was... It had so little penetration. And I know there's people out there who are saying, look, they did fine. It's mostly statistics people who are saying, you know, the the general tenor of the game, because we didn't score, has, you know, completely swayed people on as to what actually happened. But I like we always say that I don't that does matter. Yeah, I don't buy that because even even tonight, which we'll get to on Sunday. The lack of a cutting edge was, and, and an attacking, coherent attacking plan really c- kind of put me back. And maybe I have to revise what I thought about the Mexico game. We're not as far on as I thought we were in the development. Now, like I, I've said, this is the hard part. The hard part is is sorting out your attack and making everything click fluidly. And that's not happening. Didn't even happen tonight, really, let's be honest. No. At times it did. There was some nice link-up play, which we will talk about. But on Sunday it didn't. So you're asking me where I'm at. I'm If the high watermark of this qualification campaign was what happened against Mexico in Columbus, then I am a little bit more... A little bit more... I'm, I'm dis, more disappointed coming out of this window. And it's all coloured by by what I saw on Sunday. Yeah, we're in lockstep. And I should say we're recording this before Mexico and Panama have played. Yeah. Now, obviously, the outcome of that game is has become vitally important, as we are all Mexican fans tonight, uh, hoping for Panama not to steal any points in that one. But I, I agree with you. Um, and I hope that doesn't sound too pessimistic. But that's No, I think it's reasonable, though. So, look, I mean, Honduras were terrible. El Salvador were not good either. The U.S. Uh, allowed zero shots on goal for the second time in their last three games tonight. Those games being Honduras and El Salvador. Uh, I think the problem is you just, like we always say, yes, like these are the games where you've got to, like we said at the start of this podcast, you've got to take care of business, and the U.S. did that. But 
American fans measure themselves against the better teams that they play, which used to be just Mexico. Now it's it's also Canada. And yeah. so if that if that's any kind of measuring stick performance, then it was bad. Yeah. What happened? Now, I don't want to rehash old ground. This podcast was not to to recap Canada's game. This no. was to recap the Honduras game. But but if we're gonna look back on these three qualifiers, you know, the st- the statistics people I'm sure they do have their things to lean on. To a certain extent, you and I are statistics people. We buy into it. We don't shun the numbers. We are all in on XG and all yeah. that. And um, but do, know, but but like you said, do, I think it's just the fact that they weren't like it. Just they didn't feel close to scoring a goal in that game. No. And so if you're going to face Canada, and Canada is without its best player in Alfonso Davies, and you're going to see that much of the ball, and you're never really going to come close to to threatening a goal. Three shots on target, all of them limp. Uh, then you know that's it, it's hard to exit this thinking that we're as good as we thought we were beforehand. Now, right, and nothing that I saw tonight is going to make me forget about Sunday. No, but there is something that happened tonight that was extremely important. Um, and so let's go let's go through it now. I mean, you know, we talk about our biggest winners and losers. Uh, I, I think the the main thing that we're going to come out of this game thinking about is the set piece performance. Kellen Acosta's performance. Right. Uh, I mean, for me, like, if, if you want to feel good about something coming out of this game, that's it. Like that, they had been completely barren in in that element of this game, and we talk all the time about how important that is in in qualifying format, in tournament format. To to when you're given opportunities to get goals in, in good positions, you got to take advantage of them. You got to at least threaten. But they it, hadn't been doing that, and tonight to do it three times. Right. Let's talk about though. I mean, the first one was a brilliant delivery, mm-hmm. and it's it's got it's got everything you want. It's got whip, it's got pace, and it's right on Weston McKinney's head. Who, by the way, just completely dominates the defender, gets above him, and puts it right in the top corner. It's a brilliant header too. Oh yeah. All right. The second one is whipped in as well and causes causes all sorts of problems. Now, from a defensive point of view, that ball bounces and rolls far too many times before. Um, Zimmerman puts it in the back of the net. That's unacceptable defending for an international team or any level team, but still a brilliant delivery. The The problem is, and so Stephen Braddock tweeted us, uh, semi-tongue-in-cheek, is Acosta undroppable if Reyna doesn't play due to, he calls them sweet pieces, but he meant set pieces, but they were sweet. Maybe he might have meant that. Sweet pieces. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, first of all, Acosta and Reyna don't play in the same position. But I think what Stephen is trying to say is when you have someone who can deliver a ball as well as that, and we've failed to do that so often, is that a reason to somehow shoehorn him into a team? But I don't see a way into the team for Acosta when everyone's fit. Do you break up that midfield triumvirate of Musa, no, Adams, I, I and think, McKinney? I don't, I don't. Well, certainly not McKinney. Uh, he's, I think he is starting to he's kind of starting to assert himself as the best player on this team, which is not something I would have thought that I'd be saying. I think the world of him, but I kind of thought that Christian Pulisic had that on lockdown. And I don't know that I feel that way right now. Now, we'll talk about Pulisic because he had a really important night as well, but Weston McKinney has been, he's been very good. He's been very good for this team consistently ever since his little <laughs> kerfuffle uh, a few months ago. Um, so really, if you're going to, as he's as you say, shoehorn Kellen Acosta into the well, side. To me, it would be as good as he played tonight. That was a game where 
that suited him, that level of opposition. He's, you know, and it was a very good performance. Yeah, he's played well before. This, it's not like I'm not sitting here coming out of the saying, "Where did that come from?" Mm. You no, know, he's been good before. He's good. He's a good player. He was very good during the Gold Cup. You'd have to reshape the midfield to put him in there and keep those other players. Yeah, I mean, in the there. question I guess you're talking about is Acosta or Musa, um, or you just have to kind of, like you said, reshape. The midfield, the entire formation, or completely. Play, play a different kind of formation. So I, I, it's not a crazy question to ask for, because it's not like I don't just see him as like, and this is this is unfair to James Ward Prowse, but follow me for a sec. If James Ward Prowse is is viewed as like a set piece expert, you know, we don't even really we never talk about the other stuff that he does. He's a good player, but that's that's like what he would be if he was playing for mm. England. Um, like Kellen Acosta might be very good at that, but to me, he's not just a set piece expert. I think he's also a good player in open play too. He won back possession a few times tonight. He's good pressing. He, you know, he's. I think he's a smart player. Um, I do like him. So, I, I, like, yeah. If if I'm naming my eleven, everyone healthy, is he in it? No. But put it this way: if I if if Bearhalter puts a lineup out there and he is in it. That wouldn't be something that that would have alarm bells going off in my head. I wouldn't be saying, "What is Greg doing tonight with that?" He's not. Kellen Acosta wouldn't be that for me. I'd be I'd be generally fine with it, and I'd keep looking down the the list. Okay. Um, but he was excellent tonight in that part uh, in that part of the game, and they desperately they just so desperately needed that. It almost skews now. Like we're going to come out of this qualifying cycle, and like we're going to forget that all of these set piece goals happened in one game, and you're going to say, "Oh." Three set piece goals, not bad over the course of qualifying. <laughs> well, no, it was actually horrible. Yeah. Except for one night. Um, but yeah, they they just needed it. And and to get it that early in the game, God, the, like I talk about this being a sigh of relief game, that early goal in the seventh minute, eighth minute, whatever it was, was just the ultimate sigh of relief moment. To get a first half goal, to get a set piece goal, it was just like, oh, thank God. This cold weather, it's gonna be hard for Honduras to put something together. <sighs> thank goodness. And uh and it it only really got easier from there. Um, you mentioned, of course, the Zimmerman goal, um, also in the first half. Good for him. Wearing the captain's armband tonight, Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, and again, we're talking about performances. He looked, I mean, he looked. He had nothing None to do. None of them were asked to do anything. No, no, nothing. Turner, Robinson, Zimmerman. Just stay on your feet and don't fall over. And don't get frostbite. Yeah. Like, try to move around, stay, you know, try yeah. to stay warm. Try and conceal your quarterback pouch. Poor Matt Turner. Like, he knew, like... If he gonna... tried to sneak on with it. He tried to, like, he must have, because they were clearly told what they that they, they were going to be allowed to wear the balaclavas and they were going to be wear, allowed to wear the snoods and the whole thing. And... <laughs> The quarterback pouch was not going to be one of those things. So he tried to conceal it as... I mean, if you were the goalkeeper tonight, there would have been no concealing needed because someone would have said, what is that lump that is towards your midriff just a little bit to the side above your butt cheek? And you would have said, I've got weird body syndrome. That is a pocket of fat that has just built up over years there. And the referee would have said, sorry for embarrassing you. On with the play. That's just my body, sir. <laughs> the first thing I thought of when I saw that lump was was your body. <laughs> Thanks. Says a lot. Um Weston McKinney, I know we were just talking about him. Um he's become so lethal with his head. Uh all three of his goals in 2022 have been with his head. 
uh, tonight for the U.S. and then a couple games with the Juventus. It's interesting how he attacks the ball, number one, but also how how high up he gets. Yeah, he towered over that defender, the Honduran defender. It was it was brilliant. It was an absolutely brilliant header. I think. I will watch that one back again and appreciate it even more. Because when I saw it first, I was like, how has he got up there? And he had an, he had to angle it into the goal. It was he, It's not like it was some kind of a tap-in. or He's very, very good in the air. It's only tonight, really, that we've been properly able to exploit it, albeit he could easily have scored the equaliser right before halftime against Canada. Right. Except, also with his head. Except uh, Johnny Sweatpants made a great save. Uh, I don't know what to make of this, Um but the U.S. has never lost when Weston McKinney has scored a goal. I wouldn't. I Six zero and one. I mean, when he's on the field, they have a better chance of winning than. Just thought it was interesting. Interesting, yeah, it is. Do you know what else was interesting, Andrew? Paul Carr said that it's the third straight game that the U.S. men's national team attack has been right-sided in the first half. So we tend to have zones in which we attack down, and it's no surprise that. Certainly in the first half. Now, he did switch wing. Uh, I'm talking about Luca Della Torre, who had, I, I thought he had an excellent game, uh, carrying the ball, getting past players, um, you know, just like very energetic and gave energy to that midfield. But the, the other person on that side, uh, Tim Weah as well. It's interesting. We do tend to favour going down that side and it, it kind of goes to show you how important he is to that attack. Absolutely. And... There were a few tweets from listeners saying, I could have done with him on Sunday. Yeah. we d- Did those people listen to our podcast on Sunday? I hope so. We talked all about that, how, how important he has become to this team. Indispensable. Um, and yeah, he was good tonight, creating opportunities. Didn't get on the score sheet, but he was he was a part of a lot of the action. Um, you know, De La Torre is an interesting one. Uh, you're right. His ability to kind of gather the ball around midfield, Kind of take them from defense to attack Glide, very quickly. Gliding across the tundra tonight is what he was. And he was like a ballet dancer. He didn't fall over very often at all. He kept his balance. Um, but there was an incision to it. Now, again, the opposition weren't very good. Accepted. But he seemed to, uh, he, gave, he gave a thrust to that midfield that was we certainly didn't see on Sunday. Yeah, it's interesting to, to look at the performances of an Acosta and of a De La Torre um, and kind of try to figure out what to make of it exactly. I mean, I guess, I guess what you have to see is that okay, you know, there's some depth here because, like we said, these guys, when when all things are equal, are probably not getting into that starting eleven. But injuries are going to happen. Uh, guys are going to dip in and out of form, and so you know, it's nice to know that there are players that are ready to go. Where you're just you're not really going to see much of a drop off. In fact, I mean, Kellen Acosta was was hardly you can't even mention the word drop off he was an added bonus uh for what he brought to this team tonight and del torre as well i thought was was really good uh for the us um and then the third goal we'll just go right to that coming right off the bench right into the action uh off another set piece kind of uh, a, a good ball that was jumbled around a little bit fell to christian polisic's feet and he slotted it home for just a vitally important goal from a couple perspectives one put the game away if there was if there was any doubt at that point you know sometimes a 2-0 lead that next goal can can really change the way it either ends a game or it really sparks a game back to life he ended it tonight um and i think just like you you talk about confidence 
for these players, how important that is in any sport, but certainly in this sport as well, and where his was. And just that feeling of seeing that ball go into the net, you know, had to mean, it's got to mean a lot to him to have gotten that goal. I I think him not starting in this game, there are good physiological reasons, I'm sure, to not have him go again in such a short space of time, three games in so many days. But that aside, I think taking him out of the firing line, you know, just take that responsibility off him. I often watch games with Pulisic and I think he's trying too much. Just go out to the wing for a little bit. Take yourself out of the maelstrom in the middle of the park. Don't You don't have to be the fulcrum all the time. And he came off the bench. He was relaxed. He slotted that one home. That's going to do wonders for his confidence. Things we know aren't going that well at Chelsea. Is this going to fix it? No, no. definitely not. But I think it was just good to take him out, to have him not involved for once. I, I, I keep saying this. He needs a reset, some kind of a reset. Now, whether that's going to happen at a different club, it may do. It may happen in the summer. But he just needs to kind of, I don't know, within himself, the way he plays, unburden himself. How does he do that? I think tonight, coming off the bench in a game that was already won and being able to just relax, roll that one into the net and get on with things. It's I think those things just happen naturally. Like, we've all played sports varying levels. And you just click into like, gear. It's just like... It's kind of almost when you stop thinking and like next thing you like you're you're playing badly for a while and you're kind of in your head and then I don't know you just something happens and next thing you know you're like oh you don't I've actually been playing well lately like okay I'm back like it just I don't know these things just happen I don't know I don't know if there's anything he can consciously do to get himself back what? to where he was a year ago 6 months I I think I I Chelsea is a different kettle of footballs but in terms of this team, not being involved it was a good thing. And I mean, I'm even talking about during games. There's sometimes where he's he, he's running, he's almost taking the ball off the centre midfielders and trying to turn. He's going into all these positions, bearing responsibility, pushing that rock up the hill. Instead of just taking a step back, maybe just like take a few minutes out. He doesn't have to go chase everything and try and find pockets of spaces, get out of his own head a little bit. So... Going along with that, I think the bear halter element of this is important to touch on. Um, we'll get to his decision to not start Pulisic in a sec, and and obviously you you're in favor of that. You think that was a good thing. Well, I think it was, and I think just as much as it was a good idea to do that, um, I I believe it was just as much a good idea to decide to bring him on with he came on in the 63rd minute. Um, you know, you and I when we were watching it. I said right away, I said, yes, 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 yes. Honduras is tired. Like, this is the right time. You've got Christian Pulisic, who's out of form. They're playing a bad team. It's freezing cold. That team's down 2 0. They don't want to be out there anymore. They're done. Just get us out, get us to the 90th minute and let's get the hell out of here. You've got Christian Pulisic, who, who is your best player. Get him on. This is the right, this is the exact right scenario to get him right. That, like, and sure enough, within five minutes, he had scored a goal. And, like, so, I think Bearhalter managed that situation perfectly. And, you know, to go along with what you were saying about the decision to not start him, obviously when everyone looked at the team sheet and didn't see his name there and he's healthy, there's kind of, you know, there's, well, what, there's you, this initial... What? 
that kind of comes along with that. It's just like, okay, Christian Pulisic's healthy and he's not starting. This do not compute what my American brain no. But, like, he was out of form, and he hasn't played well, and you're also asking this guy to play three games in less than a week, which, you know, health is a major concern for him. I'm, I'm sure Thomas Tuchel was probably watching this closely. Not that he has any influence on it, but, like, in his last two games with the U.S., so Sunday... And the previous Thursday, Pulisic had been dispossessed 11 times, was 0, uh, 0 for 5 on attempted 1v1 dribbles. He had created just one chance from open play in those 155 minutes uh, against El Salvador yeah. and Canada. Like, he was not—he wasn't helping. Now, I know him him just being out there sometimes is a help because it attracts attention, um, but he was not—he wasn't helping them win. And so, you're right, give him some kind of—take the pressure off a little bit. Tonight's not about you. We'll get you in there at some point later in the game. You'll have a chance to do something. They'll be tired. But Bearhalter handled this right. There's a, there's some great football cliches, and they get rolled out too much. But I think this one does apply to uh, to Pulisic. He needs to find a way to enjoy his football again. Like, really enjoy He That is not a person that looks like he's enjoying it. Certainly not over the last two games. It's like the weight of the world on his shoulder. Even his post-match interview tonight, I know it was cold. Well, he was also kind of asked a silly question. Yeah, okay. but He didn't have a brace. He didn't. Whatever, we don't need to get on anyone. No. It was cold there. Everybody was just y- yeah. not functioning properly. Right, but he just... I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a... It's our fault as well because we've been following this guy since he was 16, 17 and building him up and he's taken on all our expectations on his shoulders. But it's a team sport and honestly, the last two games he's been, I wouldn't say a hindrance to the team, but he's not helped. No. And maybe the best way to reset yourself is to take yourself out of the out of the fray. And by the way too, like that is... To a certain extent, like our expectations are so high for him every time he steps out there, because he's he's earned that reputation. He's excellent. He's a great player, but like, it's not normal to be great every time you set you step out there. And there's no question that what's going on at club level is is factoring into his performances for the U.S. team. It has to be. You know, he's not happy. He keeps he keeps telling people he's not happy. That's got to that's got to get remedied because, like we say all the time, there is only so much that an international manager or an international setup can do for a player. The bread and butter, the everyday is the club. And if they're not happy there, it's harder for them to be happy in the, in the national team setup. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I would, I would agree with all of that. Um, any other players that you wanted to specifically mention, give shout-outs to for uh, performances tonight? Uh, not, not particularly. I thought, um, I thought Jordan Morris battled, battled manfully in the game. Um, like I said, Acosta stood out to me. Weston McKenney. I think the only other guy that I would have liked to have seen just a tiny bit more from, just because it's a position that is under such a microscope for this team right now, uh, it might have been nice to to get Ricardo Pepe to put one in the back of well, the net. He did have that chance in the second half where the the right ball was to lay it out to Weston McKinney, who yes. was he was facing, but he he clearly is craving that goal that he hasn't had in, in for anybody since October. And he swiveled, and he just drags it past the post. So um, that would have been nice for him. Um, he had the one chance in the first half, too. Uh, I believe it was Anthony Robinson that played one into him, and it was a little bit behind him. He tried to take it at, out of midair on the volley. Never really had a chance. Would have been the goal of, the, of qualifying had he converted it. But it's just... Rob, by the way, there's times when Robinson really, really impresses me. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Robinson, I should say. And 
that that's another thing that Greg has has to shoulder. How do you consistently make sure that he is in the attacking game, in, in part of your attacking plan, getting wide and delivering all the time? Getting the most out of him is important for this team too, and that's that's faded away a little bit over the last two games. Maybe a little, um, but back to Pepe, you know, it's just again. Like a broken record, we we exit these three qualifiers, this this international window, where that position is still anyone's anybody want it? Like it's still like that, and you wonder now going into those final three, like Josh Sargent just scored a couple for Norwich City. Will he be back into the fold? You know, I, I still say you know Ricardo Pepe is is I guess he's still first choice, but like that's we'll see what happens over the course of the next. You know, the next month and a half. But like I tell uh, you, he he's going to go to Augsburg, and we're going to have to see some kind of a, some kind of a, you know, an uptick in in fortunes for them. I mean, he's it's tough being a striker and a young striker in a team that's in a relegation battle. That's very very difficult. But he's going to have to try and find a way. Pfock may come back into form, may stay in form. What happens there? I mean, is he ruled out of the picture altogether? I think, ev- I think everyone's eyes. There's always been. I think. I think the American fan base has had a soft spot for Josh Sargent for a while, and I think people want. I think there's this. But he's like, not playing as a striker. He may play brilliantly. Well, well he the, will for the U.S. Well, he may play brilliantly for Norwich till the end of the season. But if we're not seeing the goals, then it's hardly noticed. That's, well, that's what I'm. That's why I'm saying there will be a microscope on him. A because I think U.S. fans kind of want it to be him. That's just the sense that I get from Twitter from people that we hear from and because he just scored two goals for Narch and so there's going to be this side of people that thinks okay maybe maybe it's starting to click you know maybe this is where he gets going and, I, and we'll I, see him back in the fall again I'll tell them he may click all you can hear is clicking all the way from England click 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 across the ocean but it, he may, he will be clicking in a different position so how does that transfer to us well if we play a front three maybe that's not a problem he can come in there play on the right of that well that is what they'll play yeah, I know, but I mean centrally. Yeah. Like, he won't be that centre-forward, is what I'm talking about. That's the peppy position. That's the striker position. That's the position we're talking about filling here, right? Yeah, and I think that's where they'll play Josh Sargent, if he was brought back Regardless in. of where he's playing for Norwich. Yeah, I mean, what would you say he's playing for Norwich right now? I would say he's playing an attacking right-sided player. He's he, It's certainly much wider than he would probably play for us. So, well, I don't know how that's going to jive. Well, that's where but, he, but, that's but, where he but would But again, be. if he scores five goals at the end of the season, that'll be enough to get then him in the squad. Then he'll be back in. Yeah. Like we said, that position, it's it's all there for the taking, even as we, uh, once again, as we exit this window. Um, okay, so the, there weren't really, in terms of American players tonight, I don't really have a loser for you. I know, you know, we try to do winners, losers. But there are uh, losers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the weather and this and everything that happened tonight. And this is... Well, well... Let's frame it even more uh, starkly. The decisions that were made. Things didn't happen. As you pointed out to me, this, was, this could have been foreshadowed. Well, it was. Yes. Like, we're, not, we're not sitting here doing some sort of Monday morning quarterback routine just because it happened to be three degrees tonight. Like When this was announced, I think you could go back to that podcast and we could say, this feels like they are overthinking. Like, but we were even but, curious about the, the selection of Columbus. For the first game, we were like, yeah, you know, that's going to be really cool too. And then we were getting tweets from our, our listeners in 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 uh, Minnesota, some of them who were saying, turn down, Paul Risdale, uh, a listener, said he turned down tickets for tonight's game. It's just too cold. I don't think I blame anyone who, <laughs> no. who did that. No. It's not, I mean, and by the way, 
having said that, to the people who showed out tonight at that game, massive props, massive props. Well done, uh, all of you, you crazy, crazy. You're people. out of your minds, but I mean, really, bravo! Like they were loud. It was great support. Tonight. We got we got a video sent to us as well. Uh, who was the video sent by? I can't remember. I'll dig it up in a second. But an, another listener said it was cold, but they had a great time. But this no, was—I mean, it's one of those games you remember. Fortunately, they, the U.S. won, so now this can be a fun memory, like the game against Costa Rica and Denver. You know, fun memory now. Snow Classico and this, whatever they decide to wind up calling this one. Yeah. Uh, well, Owen Owen Wagner had a great time. But Owen, Owen should know this, that as much as everyone had a great t- time there, it was absolute madness to select this venue. Yeah. There was no need to deliberately discomfort your own players in this way. And they could have known what it was going to be like for, a, for an advantage against who? The worst team in the group. Stupidity. Over, it was f- just classic overthinking something that didn't need to be overthought in that way. These U.S. players are not... Just because Honduras is is closer to the equator than the U.S. is does not mean that these U.S. players are immune to bitterly cold temperatures. I've lived in the Northeast my whole life, like I've been around cold weather for my entire life. Yeah, and like you went to when university I, in Syracuse. When, when I go outside and it's ten degrees out, you know what I say? Get me the f back inside right now. Like it, that's human. We're human beings. Like I just I don't get it. The thought process was flawed. I I was even more naive going into this game because I realized it'd be cold. I heard that they're going to have to have heaters on the sideline for the substitutes. By the way, for the substitutes, it, just horrendous. At least you get to warm up and run around. Well, the subs would have warmed up, but the the first team gets to run around, and and after a while, you can you can kind of work your way into the cold. Your your body temperature gets up and all that. When you're a sub, you're just sat there. So I realized they had heaters and lamps and everything and that they were trying to do to keep this team warm. What I did not realize was that this game was scheduled at a venue that didn't have undersoil heating. Columbus's new stadium. If only you all could have been in here with Jay Jenna. He must have mentioned it 35 times. The pitch was frozen. And they're running around like, and and we noticed it in the first half. There was a a change in even in in their gait, in the way that they ran, because they were very conscious that they were wearing cleats on a frozen surface. Maybe not all of the field was frozen. It certainly looked like. I didn't it. see many players slipping though. There was there was a few slippages at the start. I thought it'd be much worse though. Yeah. I thought center halves would be going. I thought we'd see. The field was fine. It wasn't fine. It wasn't fine. We we we've got away with it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, this this decision I think was a learning experience. I think their heart was in the right place in thinking of like you know US soccer as a federation, they're in this really unfortunate position where within the boundaries of their own country, they have to strategically place games to give their own national team a home field advantage. And they they ate it hard against Costa Rica in New York. Uh, in the last qualifying cycle. It was embarrassing for everyone involved. The team was furious about it, and so they're desperate to avoid ever having that happen again. That's, and so tonight they overcorrected. That's just, that's where, the, and it was pretty much the same, in and around the same, well, it was a bit later that they did that. It was like three games to the end. Costa Rica, um, and then we had the home game in Orlando, and then the night that shall not be mentioned. And, so and by a, the way, I don't want this to be taken as any kind of slight against Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul as a selection. By the play there again, 
Just do it in June or August or September or even if you want to get into October. Like, do it then. Like, February? I think even people in Minnesota must have seen that and been like, is this a typo? They, they, our, I told you, our listeners were like, no, this is not a good idea. It's going to be really, really cold. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Um, it's kind of sad. They need to have more faith. I think it was one of the um, the men in jackets said, tweeted that they need to have more faith in this young group of talented players and let them go and play, especially against a team as with, you know, the levels of poverty of Honduras in terms of their play and in terms of the, the team and the way that they've played in this in this qualification campaign. They've been awful. We should always back our own guys. We don't need to add elements, you know? The fact that, that the US won tonight, it was a major bullet dodged for the US soccer uh, 100%. Federation. 100%. That- they, they, fair or not, the weather would have been blamed. This was an equalizer. This put Honduras on equal footing with the U.S. This never needed to be this way. It would have been used as an excuse. Somebody would have paid for it, I'm sure. Some like you know low-level employee would have been let go. And and so this was a, a an embarrassment that was salvaged, thankfully, because of the uh, the foot of Kellen Acosta and the and and the rest of the guys. And also Walker Dwayne Zimmerman. Dwayne is the middle name. I like it. All right. And sure. Dwayne spelled D W A I N. All right. Why? Okay. I didn't know. He's he do, he's he's a handsome guy, and I don't necessarily associate Dwayne with handsome. So there you go. Important three points for the U.S. Um, like I said, Mexico it hasn't kicked off yet. Um, in terms of U.S. emergency podcasts, uh, we will reconvene with more of them. JJ. March 24th at the Azteca. That's that's going to be a big one. And that's then, another big one. And then, I mean, look, on paper, that's obviously massive. But then arguably even bigger than that is the next one on Sunday, March 27th, when the U.S. will host Panama. I mean, that's, that's really the one that could potentially decide it. And then it closes out at Costa Rica, which, which you can only just say a prayer that that game doesn't mean anything. Because it's a place where the U.S., no matter how good or bad at any given moment Costa Rica is, it's just a place where the U.S., doesn't they just don't win there? It's just become one of those places where they have a really hard time, and I so, just wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want it to all come down to that night. We've got a massive game against a rival away, against a bitter rival away. We and a rival with something to prove. Then we're at home to Panama. There's only two teams that beaten us in qualifying, and they're one of them. Mm-hmm. And then we have the game against Costa Rica in a place where we just don't do that well. Uh, there you go. Greg Berhalter, by the way, I should say, improves to, I believe, 33 wins, 8 losses, 6 draws. Not bad. 18-0 and when leading at the half, which was the case tonight. Um, a lot of guys needed this. U.S. Soccer Federation, Berhalter, Pulisic, a lot of guys needed this tonight. They got it. They can all go back to their club teams now, and they can all breathe a little bit and hopefully be feeling good when they come back for the next set of qualifiers at the end of of Mark. I gotta say I'm gonna breathe at the end of this too. Because I I enjoy, even when the team loses, I enjoy doing the podcast. I enjoy diving into the team, talking about what's going on. I enjoy talking with you about the analysis. But sometimes it's just like I feel like it's not enough for people in terms of they want us to be two-footed in everything that we, you know, whatever slight thing goes wrong, they want us to be so strident. In our criticism, and when I started doing this podcast, I, I used to listen back and thought, "Oh God, I was re- I was too harsh there." 
I've gone in over the top, over the top of the ball, and but apparently that's what people want. Like there was a video. Not everyone. There was a video that's been sent to me by a few people now, listeners, and who listened to Sunday night's show and heard the criticism that we gave of the team and of Bearhalter and the setup and everything. But they sent us an ESPN FC video, which is great. It's Craig, our friend Craig Burley, going off. But he's saying nothing we didn't say. The difference is he's much more blunt and he shouts. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what, like, do we have to do this every time? Because I can't oscillate wildly like that, you know. Well, first Sometimes, of all, you and I, we're not really yellers. Uh, we've, so, yelled, we've yelled on this podcast yeah, I mean, at each other. <laughs> not really. I don't know. I think a couple of times during the Marino era, oh, it got heated. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, that was a rough. That was a rough time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we're generally. I think we're fair, but everybody's entitled to how feel however they want to feel about it. Um, but yeah, so U.S. podcasts reconvene March twenty fourth. We're not going anywhere though. We're going to take a break right now, JJ, and we actually have a lot more to talk about because the January transfer window has closed, and so we're going to dip our toe back and do uh, club football and kind of analyze the transfer window tr- moves we liked, moves we didn't like, moves that we're kind of not sure what to make of at this stage. So, still, uh, there's still actually a lot to do, everyone. Uh, maybe you thought we were wrapping up now. U.S. is done. No, 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 no. All right, so we're going to take a break. We got a lot more to go here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, we were we were talking all about the weather of um, of the game tonight. I should mention, uh, we were kind of joking about it, but Grant Wall tweeted a little while ago, I hadn't seen this, that two Honduran players were treated for hypothermia and had to come out of the game. Just kind of continuing to, God. to, to exhibit just how ridiculous this was as a decision. And you know, for Honduras to kind of like suffer through this, after having already been eliminated from qualifying, qualifying has been a nightmare for them. And it's like, oh, now we, you're going to put us through this, really? Like, yeah. Uh, Tonight, the U.S. was kind of concacafing CONCACAF. Yeah. Add to the CONCACAF lexicon, getting hypothermiaed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope who I hope the players were all right. Obviously, sheesh. Uh, all right, JJ. So the tra- the January transfer window is shut. Boom. That's it. And it was an interesting window. I was saying recently, um, a couple weeks ago on one of the podcasts we did, I was asking if we were a jinx in some way. I think it was about Arsenal because we we had just done a podcast where we like put all this praise on Arsenal, and then what was it? They got knocked out of the FA Cup. Was that what it was? Yeah. And to so Notting- they lost to Nottingham. Right. Forest. So I was yeah. like, was that us? Did we do that uh, last week as we were exiting the podcast? Uh, I said, ah, oh, the January transfer order, what a, it's nothing. No one, nothing happens, whatever. Let's just move on. Nothing to see here. And then, like, the next day, every single thing happened. And it wound up being a pretty fascinating January transfer window, I would say. It it, it really was. Um, the last day was some intri- very interesting things happened. Can we, be- we should begin with the, where do you want to begin, actually? Well, so I have this broken down into the moves that I like, the moves that I don't like, for any number of reasons, which we'll get to, and the moves that I'm not entirely sure how to feel about. So if we start with the moves that I like, the first one that I have here, JJ, involves Everton. And I know you have a lot that you want to say about Everton. Not necessarily a transfer, but... Well, it's a transfer of sorts, a <laughs> signing of sorts. The, the first move that I was going to mention for them that I like is the Donny van de Beek move. And I, I like this in in dual lanes. I think it's I think it's the right kind of move for Everton. 
I think it's definitely the right kind of move for Van de Beek. And it's right for Manchester United to, at least for now, kind of rid themselves of this dark cloud. Oh my God. It's crazy the way you're framing this. Rid themselves of a dark cloud. By their own doing, sure. Yeah. But, uh, it, but like, it's it's this pressure that like the fans are chanting for him. Like, he might have been part of the reason that Solskjaer got fired. Like, every time he'd stand up, the crowd would go crazy. How about allowing a good, a really good player to play football? To wa- yeah, he was wasting away. Everyone needed this. Everybody needed this to happen. And I'm not sure Everton is the best spot for him, but we, we, we'll see. It, it might be where he blossoms in, in the midst of a kind of a relegation battle. Well, this will be a transition into what you wanted to talk about. I think now that Frank Lampard has been named their manager, it feels like, you know, I don't know how one-on-one a manager can be with players, but... Van de Beek and Lampard, it feels like the right kind of tutor for Van de Beek to have. That kind of... Based on that they're both kind of goal-scoring attacking midfielders? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Can he organize a defense? That's the question I'd ask. So the so when he, just the day before it was announced, I was on Twitter and there was a Twitter space. I think it was run by the SB Nation Everton guy. But it had a big following in both the US and England. So I logged, I logged into oh, it God. to listen. And God bless them. The the optimism they had for for Lampard was was kind of surreal to me. But I suppose supporters do that. They they have no say in what happens, so they kind of have to just suck talk it up yourself into anything. and talk yourself into it, right? But they were talking about, oh well, maybe we'll have like I want to see Everton play a certain style of football. And all I could think of was, what you need Everton to do is to stay up. And you need that defence to stop leaking goals and sort that midfield out. Now, can Lampard do that? That's the big question. There's not a ton of evidence that he can. He certainly couldn't sort out a defence at Chelsea. Um, to the point where he was marginalising what turned out to be a player now that they're, I would say, they're desperate to keep in Antonio Rudiger, who's been excellent for them. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe that's an alarm bell there for Everton fans. Although... The, you know, the job is, he has none of the, the comforts we'll say he had at Chelsea. First of all, he's not a club legend. He has none of that. He has to come in and win instantly. And I I don't see the evidence. I don't know that he can. It felt like a risky appointment. It does feel like a risky appointment. And for Everton, a lot of the things that have happened since, and we'll go on to some of the other signings, but you're looking at your club and you're thinking, okay, Frank Lampard's come in. So this is a guy who's looking to refurbish a reputation. And we're signing Danny Van de Beek, another guy who's looking to... But we think there's refer- a player in there. Right. And then we've signed Deli Ali. We'll get to that one. Okay. It's all a little bit too many experiments at my football club that needs to desperately start winning football matches. That's what it feels like. A lot of times, JJ, you'll... You know, I'll, I'll parachute in every once in a while, see what, what's JJ doing on Twitter today. <laughs> It's a fun place. And, you know, we. I sometimes see your tweets and I will oftentimes roll my eyes at them, yeah. at the smugness, sure. the condescension. Um, but you had one that I actually I thought was pretty funny. So Everton announced Lampard. And as his resume, they list like he scored this many goals and won the Premier League this many times and a Champions League yeah. and a Europa League. And like, 
they list all these things, and your tweet off of that was, did they sign him to play? Yeah. Like, this, these are all achievements from him as a player. This yeah. says nothing of anything that he's done at management level, which is what he's got to do now for Everton. Like, I, I looked at it, I was like, you know, I want to say that JJ's kind of being a D, but, like, it's kind of funny. I'll tell him another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I give him that. It just felt like they were giving them the hard sell through social media. Their announcement video was also very interesting. So... I'm going to set the scene for you. It's Lampard in almost like dimly lit and this music is playing. Andrew, can you play the music, please? Oh, yeah. And Lampard, he's rolling up his sleeves, kind of adjusting his shirt. There's a little bit of smoldering stares. And I'm watching it and I completely forget that I'm watching an announcement video for a manager and all I could think of was like, this was an advert for a perfume. You know, where there's a guy in a swimming pool, and it's a moonlit swimming pool. Uh-huh. That kind of one. Yeah, some kind of like... Yeah, and I, I expected this voice. Relegation. <laughs> Poor home by Lampard. <laughs> yeah, available now at Bloomingdale's. Vision. The new fragrance by Frank Lampard. You know, that kind of thing. It was very, very odd. But they're, they're giving it the hard sell. Uh, Lampard has brought in Paul Clement, former assistant to Carlo Ancelotti. He's kept on Duncan Ferguson because Ferguson told him, you're not allowed I to fire me. I think he lives me. there. You're not allowed to fire me. He had him in a headlock <laughs> <laughs> and said, you fire me, son. You fire me. I'll send you back to London in a box. That's what happened there. <laughs> and he kept Alan Kelly, the goalkeeping coach. So um, I just hope that Everton aren't getting, you know, when we talked to Greg O'Keefe, you know, he talked a little bit about Mashiri listening to, to agents. If you look at some of what Everton have done here, Lampard, Van de Beek, Delhi, these are like flashy name and lights type acquisitions. Right. Does that necessarily mean that they're the right move for Everton to make? Time will tell. Lampard, I would say, I have no idea. Van de Beek, I already said, I, I like that signing. Was for there, them. Was, Deli Alley, I have no idea. What, we'll talk more about that. What about was there was there a centre half they could have signed? Maybe, maybe another central midfielder to help, or maybe, maybe they have too many midfielders or central midfielders at this point. But maybe a right back, left back. No, they just let Lu- Lucas Dean go. Yeah, uh, to Aston Villa. So some help for Seamus Coleman. Although I think he's out of the frame now, anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Everton. I'll say this about them right now. They're they're not always good, certainly, but they're never boring. Like there's they're interesting to me. The decision making oh, They're uh, one of the most interesting clubs. Yeah. I'm fascinated by them. Yeah. And I will be watching this with a big bag of popcorn. And I'm not like those I'm it's not because I'm a Liverpool fan. I I've no interest in them being relegated. None whatsoever. No, no. I just have an interest in this story. Yes. It's interesting what's going on there. The whole the whole experiment. We have to get off Everton, but we're not getting off Everton without you talking about Delhi Alley. Can we do, do that? Do, you I have, have to. Well, I have categories, JJ. Do you want to stick to categories? Or do you want me to get to Delhi right now? Will you tell me? You you actually you do what you think All is right. right. Stick to what you've written down. Other moves that I liked during this window. Uh, quickly on this one, I don't have a ton to say about it, but it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, Julian Alvarez to Manchester City. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the definition of smart business. Like Manchester City, you know, hmm. a lot of what they do is smart business. I, I don't want to say that, but like, you know, they spend, they spend a lot of money. But this is kind of like they they identified a guy for the future who had a a very low buyout clause, 
who has become one of the best, if not the best, young player in South America. Yes. They don't need him right away. He's been loaned back to River Plate where he can continue to get minutes there. Um, and it's if you're Manchester City, it's kind of like a, a smart insurance policy. Like, we don't need this guy right now. Our number one target for that position, for a striker position, is going to be Erling Holland. There's going to be a lot of competition for him. If we don't get him, then this guy will hopefully develop and can be the heir apparent to Sergio Aguero and and this train keeps on moving and we wound up doing it for probably a tenth of the price of whatever Holland is going to wind up going for. It just yeah, it felt like it felt like a, a kind of wily move by them. Uh, Bill Halsey writes a piece for Defector about this transfer and it's very very good. And but he makes a point how he doesn't like this loan. He says. The, the prob- loan back to River Plate? Yes. Okay. He says he doesn't like because the problem is that Alvarez already deserves a shot to get that playing time at a major European club right now. What's more, City's disinterest in bringing him in this window and reports that the signing will not impede their plans to go after a big-name striker next summer, Erling Haaland, give the clear impression that the club sees Alvarez more as a roster filler than a foundational piece to build on. And that is problematic because... But I don't know that we that know is that. the stock... Well, no, but... It feels like that. And that is the stockpiling of talent that goes on. And wouldn't it be better to see him at another club somewhere showing... Show- but that's not City's problem. No. That's a Julian Alvarez problem. It's a it's a football problem. It's, okay, it's but I'm of- talking about for Manchester City. Like, No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not slagging off City's decision to do it. What I'm saying is, you know, I'd like to see this guy now, wouldn't you? I'd like to see him at somewhere else where... Isn't football about playing football, Andrew, and seeing... Right, play- hence him being loaned back to River Plate, because he's probably not breaking into that city squad right now. They're huh. doing all right. All right. So uh, I'm generally good with all Agreed of Agreed to disagree on this one. Though. All right, fair enough. Uh, JJ, another move I like, Luis Diaz to Liverpool. I <laughs> didn't see it coming, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really good move. I... For those people who are thinking, where does he fit in? How does this work? Who loses out? Yeah, that last part. That's interesting. Well, it is interesting. And um, I, I, I pondered this, and I think that it's it's not so much about who loses out as let's admit that this team, as good as it's been, needs depth, needs options. Let's admit that some of their attacking tri- triumvirate are moving on will be moving on. There's no way they all stay. That's not the way FSG operate. So let's prepare for that eventuality, i.e. Mane or Firmino. It's not... I, I'm still... Uh, ho- one of those guys I know, you haven't said. I know, because I'm, I cannot believe that they'll get this wrong. And I, Is but, this leverage? In, I, in what is becoming... I, mean, I don't want to say contentious negotiations. I don't think it's, it's contentious. N- but, well, but it's uncomfortable a little bit. Ryan O'Hanlon wrote a piece for ESPN. He says, given that Diaz is right-footed, I really don't think that this means much for Salah's future. Jota, long-term replacement for Firmino. Mane, uh, he's going into the last year of his contract next season. Um, Mane, a better player than Firmino right now, so he probably would command a bigger transfer fee over the summer too, so if they were to get rid. But he makes my point. This may be an acceptance by Liverpool that if they are going to try and get another title or another European Cup in this Klopp window, that depth is going to be key and that this will be more of a... What's what, what's the a bolstering of the squad? So I think it's smart, partially for what you're saying, partially because, look, to get a, a potentially great player who's at the front edge of his prime, he's, what, 25 years old? Mm. 
um, who plays that position, striker is the most expensive position in the world, to get him at 50 mil, it's a lot. But it's kind of reasonable when you put all those things. Together. Oh, I, I think it's. I think it's. So it's pretty good business. It is good business, and it's and it kind of to speak to what you're saying about what this means for those other players up front and what this means for Klopp making another run at trophies. Um, you know, we talk all the time about one of the hardest things to do in this sport when you got a good team is realize when it's time to freshen up because sometimes you have to do that before you before you can actually see it because by the time you see it, it's too late. Correct. And so Liverpool might be doing that right now, and maybe they're going to lose Mane. And maybe in the moment we're going to say, what are they doing? He's still so good. But like Liverpool, to build a team the right way in this sport, you've got to look down the road a year, two years, three years. And I think they're doing that. I think think this is a smart move. And there was the concern that they weren't doing that, and this is addressing it. Yeah. Uh, One more JJ for you here. Uh, Bruno Gamares to Newcastle. I mean, what can you say about this, really? If you look at all the reports for the last few months about the destinations he was going to, <laughs> that this guy would end up at, one of the most coveted players in European football. Real Madrid, Barcelona, maybe Inter would come in. No, no, no. Maybe Juventus. No, no, no. No, no. Newcastle United. Yep. This is, this is how it's going to be, folks. Can you imagine being Dean Smith, uh, Sean Dyche, Roy Hodgson, watching this happen? <laughs> it's... This relegation battle is, doesn't seem fair right now. No, and imagine if they still go down. Imagine. <sighs> I mean, these... between him, Kieran Trippier coming in, it's even Chris Wood, because by the way, it's not just the Chris Wood. Like I don't know what I think of him as a player, but the team that he was on before, he was important to that team, and that's who Newcastle is battling in this relegation race. They took him from that. Maybe they paid all that money just so that he may not do anything for Newcastle, but we don't want you to have him. Um, but he could he could completely change that team. He could be the the absolute difference. And then going up or going down, uh, or staying up or going down, and it, there's an unfair, there's just an unfairness. To exact it. kind of player that they need, that any club could really use, but like a box to box midfielder, How, defense and attack. Um, just I saw Sky Sports posted some of the the statistics for him in Liga so far this season. He's first in final third completed passes, first in completed passes in the opponent's half, third in through passes completed, second in fouls won, fourth in overall touches, eleventh in chances created. He's a playmaker and he defends. Uh, I think in duels one he was top three in Liga. Uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna slot in immediately, and he's gonna be great for them. That's really my gut feeling on this do you know why he wears number 39 by the way i think his father was a taxi driver and that was his number that was the number of his taxi in brazil uh, yeah kind of cool yeah that is cool i like that so yeah newcastle i got a good i got a good feeling about this can i give you one more before yeah, we go yeah. to the ones we don't like of course uh jermaine defoe to sunderland 39 <sighs> years of age <laughs> i didn't realize he was still on the playing staff or was still uh signed at Rangers I think they had moved him into coaching but he still wanted to play <laughs> I'm not even sure but um, he's going to come back uh, the former England international scored 37 goals from 93 appearances which is a good record uh, in all competitions for the Black Cats the last time he was there uh, helped stave off relegation one season if I remember correctly as well so uh, Jermaine Defoe a special relationship with the Sunderland fans Yeah, and I think this is going to be he, he's calling it the last dance I remember he scored an Absolutely epic goal for Sunderland. Was that against Newcastle I think it was. in the relegation battle? It was. I think so, yeah. And he One also of the goals of the season. had the um, 
that lovely relationship and friendship with uh, Bradley Lowry, the mm-hmm. kid who had cancer that passed away. Um, so he's beloved up there, and he goes into a promotion battle in League One. Speaking of Rangers, how about them acquiring Aaron Ramsey? Did not see that coming. Didn't see it coming. Uh, Juventus are basically paying all that money. He was on enormous wages, 200-something thousand pounds sterling, maybe even more than that. Rangers can't afford that. So who was the, uh, who, who's, who's taken the, I guess he was completely frozen out at Juventus, mm-hmm. but it was a strange move to me. No disrespect to Rangers, you kind of feel he could play at a higher level, but why won't anyone buy him? Probably because injuries and things of that nature. Uh, he was at, uh, at the game tonight. There's uh, Scottish lungs coming up, folks, by oh. the way. We'll, we'll save that, though. Uh, moves that we don't really like. So I really only have one here. I've kind of been saying that I, I wanted to talk about this. Tangy and Dombele was loaned um, from Spurs back to Lyon, where they got him from. But I thought you'd kind of given up on him. I thought so, you were happy to let this happen. Well, I was kind of resigned to this fate. Um, here's why I don't like it. It's, it's for all of this. Like it's the right move in that it had. I think it had to happen, but it's also such a depressing move for Tottenham that it got to this point. Because I have, it's a, I guess, a fairly big statement to make about this. Because oh for me, JJ, this is the most for for me personally. In the last, I'd say, I don't know, twenty, thirty years of the club, this is the most disappointing signing that they have had, and I don't even really know what's close. Because first off, it's the most expensive signing in their history, at sixty-six million dollars by a by a lot. Davinson Sanchez's next closest at forty-six million, so twenty million more than the next closest signing. This was a mega signing, but that's not even it. Like when Tottenham failed on Soldado or Jansen, like no offense, but those guys just weren't good. Like so, that happens all the time in transfers. A guy comes into a new league, not good. You move on. But the reason this one is so disappointing, A, the money, but B, he is good. He is good. I think he's really good. But for whatever reason, they just couldn't get it out of him consistently. And that makes it all the more frustrating because it was right there. You've seen, have you seen The Dark Knight Rises, JJ? Yeah, I have. You know why that prison is so brutal in the middle of the desert? Because freedom is right there. There's no, there's no cage that you're in. Anybody can get out of it, but you can't. Like, even though you can see out of it, you can't get out of it. That's this guy. He's that bleep in prison. Wow. Like, the talent, you see, every Dark. time he steps out there, you see it. The goal against Southampton, the through ball that he played against Liverpool, his his first game for Spurs, scored on his debut. I mean, I remember texting my buddy Berenson after he scored that goal and said, I think Real Madrid are already readying a bid for him. Like, it just felt like it was going to be that way, and it just didn't happen. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of... The managers that came in, by the way, a lot of different managers have overseen this guy. None of them could get anything out of him. First it was Poch, then Mourinho, then briefly Nuno. Now Conte wants him gone immediately. Like, so I don't know if it's him, if it's work ethic. We'll find out. He'll go back to Lyon. Maybe he just needed a change. Maybe he needed to get back to his home country. Maybe he's just more comfortable there. Maybe he was homesick. I don't know. But to see that you had a player who could do great things for you, and you spent a ton of money to get him, and it just goes horribly wrong and you don't know why that is peak disappointment what a bummer such a bummer 
I, I almost I wonder a little bit. I liken this. This might be a little unfair to this other guy, but another Frenchman. Sometimes like Paul Pogba is still very good, but like sometimes I, I'm wondering if Manchester United fans sometimes will watch him play and be like, "Boy, he's good," and then two months will go by and they'll be like, "What is this guy's deal?" Yeah. Why can he not just do that all the time? Mm. I kind of felt like that with Ndombele. Like sometimes he do stuff. I think he's the best player on the team. Couldn't get it out of him consistently. This will forever haunt me. Forever. Maybe he'll come back. I mean, it's a loan. He's it's he's not coming back. I think there's an obligation to buy attached with this. But right. Quickly, it's just a bummer. Quickly, not on Ndombele, but on the rest of Conte's business. The ins. Are you? How are you feeling about Benton Kerr and? And Kulishevsky? Yeah. Uh, Benton Kerr, fine. Like, I don't know. I guess we'll find out how much of an upgrade it is from... Like, I'm guessing he's going to take Hoybier's position, would be my thought on it. Okay. I don't know. It seems like he's he can be somewhat versatile. Um, I couldn't tell you if it's a huge upgrade or not. I'm going to have to just trust... And Conte maybe wanted him for a reason. And Kulishevsky, a generally a bench guy at Juventus, going to be what at, at Tottenham? That to start out, I would think. Okay, um, but we'll see. He's young. I think he's twenty-one. Um, so we'll see. It's the the disappointment is that I think they they really had one position of need uh, of a right wing back, and yeah. and they didn't address it. Um, and so, like these are these signings. I'm not saying that they weren't important. They Bentonker could wind up being really important. He's he's potentially a really good player, Kulishevsky as well. But I don't know if those were necessarily needs, like a right wing back was. They chose to not. They're going to wait until the summer. I've just got one in this category, and it, it was a tweet that got me thinking. Uh, this is from Zach Lowy. West Ham have had one of the most disappointing transfer windows in Europe. Fifth in the league, one point away from fourth, fighting for Europa League, and didn't bring in a single player despite needing depth. David Moyes' impact has really papered over the ownership's cracks. Mm. That is one. That is a window that could come back to haunt Sullivan, Gold, and Brady. I, I really believe that. They have not taken the opportunity to kick on. And remember last January, that was when they brought in Lingard, right? Who was such a huge part of the second half of their season. Yeah. Now, United, obviously reluctant to give Lingard. What a weird world. United, don't give, we're not going to give Jesse Lingard to West Ham because they're a rival of ours now. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just, I thought, this this could sow the, be the, the sowing of seeds of the next round of discontent for, for fans at the London Stadium. Um, moves, JJ, that I just don't know how to feel about. Uh, so I have two for the same club. Okay. Aubameyang to Barcelona, Adama Traore to Barcelona. I don't know. I feel like these could go either way. Um, two players who, you know, like if, if Adama Traore had been transferred to Barcelona two years ago, I would have said, look out, this could be spectacular. Now I'm not so sure. He's. I do still think he's good. The weirdest, I don't know how good. The weirdest path back to Barcelona that you could possibly <laughs> have imagined. Aston Villa, Middlesbrough. Wolves, and you can't say he's coming back. I told you so. You can't. This is a guy who won't get you into double figures in either assists or, or brilliant, brilliant, like spectacular player to watch. But end product and and the kind of things that you expect of a Barcelona player, uh, not for me, Clive. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting. And Barcelona are being active. I'm guessing Javi has sees something that he likes here 
uh, speed. Yeah, down sure. The wing, um, you know, something dynamic that he'll bring to this team that maybe Barcelona were lacking. Something. So something I'm excited to see it. Something cheaper, uh, but what about Aubameyang though? Like the the de- the decline here has been unbelievable, and not just the decline in his play, his goal scoring, which has declined obviously, but just in terms of his status as a footballer. You know, sixty million comes into Arsenal, has it starts off brilliantly. But the last two years, club captain, the indiscipline, and now like Barcelona are signing him. This is, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's a measure of both where Barcelona and Aubameyang are at. Well, they're desperate. They are. Desperate. They're desperate for that position in particular. Uh, you know, I don't know what they thought they were going to get out of Sergio Aguero, but they clearly thought they were going to get something. And Luke Dion, obviously Sergio Aguero had to retire. They've got. They have a hole at that position. They were desperate. Aubameyang is a big name. I guess they felt like they could do this on, on some sort of a thrifty kind of deal. Um, but like just looking through Barcelona, they're seventh in goals. They're third in expected goals, but they're 17th in expected goal difference. Um, their quality of shots on target is 15th. Um, so like they need help up front. They're, they're clearly not efficient right now in the goal scoring department in that that central striker department. So but it's a real risk. Yeah. I suppose it's not a risk because he's taken a significant reduction. He's not on Arsenal wages. Arsenal just it's probably a great win for Arsenal to get him off the books. To get those wages like enormous wages. Yeah, but it also goes to show just like how wrong they got it in in signing him to that deal, making him captain and just have it spiral so quickly out of control. The way that it did. Well, we got it wrong too because when they offered the the contract renewal, we said you got to do this. He was in such hot form. Yeah, you're not going to find someone else like him. We were fooled. Fools. Um, before I get to the last one, JJ, there's one other one I forgot to mention here for moves that I don't know what to feel how to feel about. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Christian Eriksen. Um, I love that he's back, and I'm going to assume that he has been looked after medically and assured that this is fine. Um, I'm going to really, really hope that that's the case, and I'm going to try not to be nervous watching You're going to be, though. It's just natural. Um, I just don't know how to feel about it because, like, I don't know. He's at a club that it's kind of hard to picture him playing for. Like, this is is a superstar who's now going to Brentford, so it might be brilliant for them. Um, I don't know. It's just it felt really weird. I guess partially because I don't know that I expected to see him playing again, um, but I I just wanted to give him a shout out because I I love him as a player, and I'm so thrilled for him that this is able to happen, and I hope he can still be as effective as he once was and healthy. And then last but not least, JJ, the player that you mentioned at the start of this, we circle all the way back around to Goodison and Delhi going to Everton. Um, how can anyone know what is about to happen here? How can anyone have a good feeling or a bad feeling about this? Can I interrupt you just briefly? That's why the contract is highly incentivized. Ten million, we believe, to Spurs once he hits twenty games, twenty appearances. Okay. Uh, bonuses, etc. Murky. We don't know what it means, but it could get it that transfer fee to forty million. But that is highly, as I said. Who knows if it'll touch that? Who knows if he'll get the twenty appearances? Um. For Tottenham fans, I know that this was a particularly emotional departure um, because if you look at those 
those peak Pochettino years for Spurs. Um, it's arguably the most, it's one of the most fun eras in Tottenham history, and he was such a huge part of it. Um, you know, the goal against Palace, the goals that he scored against Chelsea, setting up Lucas Moore's goal against Ajax. So there's that really emotional attachment that this fan base, even when things weren't going well, you yeah. always had Tottenham fans saying, get Delhi back in the side. Like, always he had the, the back of the, the, the fans had his back. And it just never materialized. Then there's the unemotional side of this, JJ. Uh, this turned out in a way for Spurs that is almost without precedent. So hear me out here. This guy won the PFA Young Player of the Year award in back-to-back seasons. Okay, he's one of only four players to win that award twice. Quick trivia: Do you want to name? Can you name the other three? PFA Young Player of the Year. Yeah, award. two who have won it twice. Michael Owen. No. Ryan Giggs. He's won. Um, Young Player of the Year award. Ryan Giggs. Wayne Rooney. That's right. One more. <sighs> Someone close to to you. Your team. Although, would he have done it? Well, close to my team. A guy who played for your team. Go on. Robbie Fowler. Huh. Um, so Deli Alley is only he's one of four to have won the Young Player of the Year award two times. We're only a few years removed from that happening. He's only 25, mm. and he's now a few years after that let go on what essentially at this moment is a free transfer. Yep. We're all like I think it was three four years ago he was valued at like a hundred million. Oh yeah. He was one of the most expensive players in the world a couple years ago. This does not happen. I'm going to list for you quickly here, JJ, the PFA Young Players of the Year since 2005, okay? Rooney, Ronaldo, Fabregas, Ashley Young, James Milner, Jack Wilshire, Kyle Walker, Gareth Bale, Hazard Kane, Ali, Ali, Sané, Sterling, Alexander-Arnold, Phil Foden. Who among any of those at age 25 had seen their value fall to the point where they could be let go for nothing? Jack Wilshire. He's the only one. But I put an asterisk next to it because injuries, it was external forces. Yeah, injuries sure. were the reason. Delhi wasn't hurt. No. He was fine. I don't know what happened. It's insane. It's, I hate to say this because I always want to move past it. It's just the most Tottenham thing that could happen is like they could have a superstar young player who's like the toast of the world and he could be the only player to ever really win this award that could have this happen to him so quickly. Weird. Life comes at you fast, man, in professional sports. It's unbelievable. I hope he gets it back. I've always appreciated him, but God, to go that quickly from back-to-back Young Player of the Year to 25 years old, gone on a free. (sighs) Unprecedented. Wild. Yeah. Uh, Ali told Everton TV, he, Frank Lampard, is an amazing manager, an amazing person as well. Speaking to him and admiring him so much as a player and what he's done so far as a manager, I think it's amazing. He knows me very well as a player and I know the tactics he likes and how he likes to play and how he likes his teams to work. So I feel like it's a perfect match and I can't wait to get going. He had to go. He had to go. Probably a few years too. We talk about freshening up. A few years too late. Unbelievable. It's just hard to know when to say goodbye. If you have any transfers that you want to talk about or are excited about, at COSoccerPod on Twitter, CaughtOffSidePod at gmail.com. At uh, Cutoffside ESPN on Instagram. Please follow us everywhere. That's about all I got, my friend. I have a, we have a couple of things. Uh, Celtic played Rangers uh, today, and uh, Aaron Ramsey watched from the stands. Mm-hmm. But we had some 
some classic Scottish lungs. I should mention Cameron Carter-Vickers was excellent and set her back. A, another good performance from him in a season where he's done extremely well uh, for Celtic. Uh, Rio Hatate with a brace. Here's his second. And let's listen to the lungs. Juranovic. O'Reilly has settled in superbly. Abada now. Hatate No appearance from uh, New York City's on-loan player, James Sand. Sands. He was on the bench for Rangers, so he did not make his, his bow in the Old Firm Derby. Uh, that win put Celtic into first. And the winners of the league go automatically into the group stage of the Champions League. So this, this title race is, has means, never been... means a lot. Yeah, never been. On, um, on a less fun, happy, hmm. on a terrible note... Um, over the weekend, we heard news about uh, an alleged incident or incidents involving Manchester United's uh, Mason Greenwood. Uh, this is the latest we have on that. Um, this is from the Associated Press. Uh, Manchester United's Mason Greenwood is bailed pending further investigation on a rape sexual assault charges. Uh, Greenwood was released on bail Wednesday by police who questioned him on sp- suspicion of the rape and assault of a woman. The Manchester United player who had been in custody since being arrested on Sunday, has been released on bail pending further investigation, Greater Manchester Police said. Greenwood 20 was initially arrested on Sunday on suspicion of rape and assault following the circulation of images and an audio file on social media. He was further arrested on Tuesday on suspicion of of sexual assault and making threats to kill. Manchester United released a statement which read, Manchester United reiterates its strong condemnation of violence of any kind. As previously communicated, Mason Greenwood will not train with or play for the club until further notice. If you've seen those pictures, like I have, like many of you have, it's disgusting. It's horrifying. <sighs> kind of at a loss for words on this one. It's it's truly awful. It's truly awful, and um, I suppose now it's the it's in the hands of the police and. It 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 was very it was disturbing and difficult to process what what everyone saw over the weekend and heard um, and so we just have to leave it in the hands of the law and see what happens from here I suppose and um, shocking really yeah well um, that's about it one last thing actually for transfers we should mention DeAndre Yedlin coming back to MLS um, we had talked about that happening and Austin Trusty going from Colorado to Arsenal, JJ. Yes, the, that well-beaten track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor um, Colin Acosta had to watch that. Colorado sent a different player to uh, to Europe. Imagine. His dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Deferred uh, to another. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be very, very... Uh, I'm very curious how he does or what happens there at Arsenal. And um, a lot of Arsenal fans... Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, why is it just because of Cranky's ownership? Um, I think I saw the union get like a thirty percent sell-on fee for that one. Also, they know how to do things. We will see how this this one plays out. Yeah. There you go. This was a successful Wednesday evening. The U.S. qualification back on track. JJ 
transfer windows close. We resume with club football this weekend. We'll be back with more Caught Offside next week, recapping all of the matches from over this weekend. We'll see how a lot of these new transfers fare. I'll be curious to see them in action with their new clubs. And Frank Lampard on the sideline with Everton. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. Certainly interesting. Can we play out with the Frank Lampard music? I would love to, JJ. To you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. I'll see you later, man. Take care. Poor Om. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 